Word of God. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Those of you who have been with us over the last number of Sundays know we've been there in that portion of the Word of God. The Sermon on the Mount in particular, uh, we're in the Beatitudes. We're at the sixth Beatitude this morning, uh, verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5. So if you'd like to uh, locate that place in your copy of the Scripture, you may do so at this moment. So we're about to launch into the living Word of the living God. And as we do that, uh, ushers are ushering children out of the sanctuary into a children's church they'd like to go. Uh, and it'd be, it'd be a fun thing. You'll enjoy it, kids. Uh, <laughs> don't read anything out of that. Uh, <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My title, of course, this morning is None But the Pure in Heart. I remember the words of a movie gangster who said that he had a bum heart. Ticker, ticker. Naming, meaning that he had a bad heart. The Bible has a lot to say about man's bum ticker. Not the physical organ, of course, but the heart as in the center or governing faculty of a person, the inner person. The heart is the seat for thoughts, attitudes, motivations, and actions. A heart, the heart, is a bum ticker. That is, it is evil. We're all born with a spiritual heart problem. People say many times that they have a good heart. And I want to say, no, you don't. If you're not a Christian, no, you don't. See, the heart of man's problem is the problem of the heart. That is the core of our problem. And that's just not a pronouncement from a preacher. That is from the Word of God. The Old Testament and the New Testament are united in their witness to the condition of the human heart apart from salvation. I'm going to give you some sample text to buttress my assertion here. It says this in a couple of three texts. During the pre-flood era of human history, God made this unambiguous pronouncement about the state of the heart of fallen man. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 record his analysis. He said this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The evil actions of evil hearts. They rejected the word of God. They rejected its warnings of judgment from Noah, a preacher of righteousness. They persisted unabated in their unbelief and evil ways. And finally, God's patience ran out and he sent the universal flood judgment because their hearts were evil. Another sample text is Isaiah 32, 6. It says this, For the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity. The preoccupation of sinful men in their heart their thoughts, their motivations, and their attitudes is iniquity. Iniquity is another word for sin. 
the di divine diagnosis of man's fallen heart is uh, continues in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 uh, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick who can know it well man can't God does in Jeremiah 17 10 the succeeding verse from what I just read it says I the Lord search the heart I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways according to the results of his deeds end of quote that text says the Lord searches the heart that's just another way of expressing the fact that the Lord is omniscient he knows what is in the heart nothing escapes him nothing escapes his scrutiny he sees all knows all and rewards men for their actions the actions that spring from their hearts when you come to the New Testament Jesus obviously affirms the condition of the fallen heart it's quite clear Matthew chapter 15 verse 18 they come to Jesus and people thought that defilement came with the food you ate and that was not the point at all you can't be defiled by food you eat that's why you can go ahead nowadays and if you want eat some pork <laughs> it doesn't make you less spiritual Jesus says this verse 18 of Matthew 15 but the things that proceed uh, out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man this is not a problem it's the heart and then Jesus gives this litany of things that proceed out of the heart from the inner man from his motivations um, what's inside him for out of the heart come evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness slanders all of those come from the heart. Jesus doesn't say uh, you do these things because somebody made you. Jesus said you do these things because that's in you. He says these are the things, verse 20, which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Apart from the saving, purifying work of God and salvation man is his own fountain of defilement it flows from within him that's the reality now the fact about this is that man is utterly incapable of ridding himself of his inward pollution he can't do anything about it he's defiled all of this stuff is in his heart all of this pollution all this uncleanness and there's not a thing he can do about it. in fact an unsaved man does not want to do anything about it he's incapable the United States government has a, an executive branch agency called the Environmental Protection Agency you may have heard of it the EPA it is tasked with preventing and cleaning up pollution there is no such humanly devised agency equivalent to clean up the human pollution of the heart. There is no spiritual EPA <laughs> that man has devised. You say, well, I don't know about that. 
I think I can get my life straight. I think I can get my heart straight. Oh, really? Proverbs 20, verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart? I am pure from sin. Don't say it. Because if you do, you just demonstrate (laughs) you're not pure. But there are some whose hearts have been cleansed. The source of their purification is external to them. And if you're a Christian this morning, you're in that company. You're numbered among those who are pure in heart. You possess a heart that is pure. In fact, my first heading, I'm finally there. Possessing a pure heart. Possessing a pure heart. It's what Jesus says here. There are some who do. Blessed are the pure in heart. Right now, they possess a pure heart. It is a present possession. The word blessed here in this text implies a state or condition of well-being as a result of salvation. And what has occurred in the life of the believer is the purifying effect of salvation in Christ. When you came to Christ, you were purified. You were cleansed internally. God did that. He alone was able to do that. 1 Peter 1, verse 22, he's writing, uh, the apostle was, to his readers and his first readers, and by extension to us as well. He said that we have obeyed the truth and have purified our hearts, our souls. The truth is the gospel. The gospel. When the person comes their life, then at that moment they're clean. Only the gospel has the power to cleanse a heart. I'm going to tell you something. The Apostle Paul was uh, clear about this. He contrasted um, what the gospel does with what false teaching does. In Second Timothy, First uh, Timothy, excuse me, First um, Timothy. If you want to turn there, you may. If not, you may just listen. First Timothy, chapter one. Paul was writing to his young protege Timothy, and he was wanted them, him to stay there in Ephesus. And he had a task for the young preacher, this young disciple of the Apostle Paul. And he reminded him of what he wanted him to do there, remaining in Ephesus at the church there. 1 Timothy 1. In verse 3 says, As I urge you, he's speaking to Timothy, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, false doctrines, doctrines that contradict the word of God, contradict the revelation of the gospel, nor to pay attention to myths, endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. That last phrase, further administration of, of God, which is by faith, that is God's saving plan. And the apostle says, he gives a reason for the instruction. Verse 5, this is a point I, I wanted to get to. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. <laughs> 
the love there that comes from a pure heart is the love for God may I expand on that for a moment prior to a person coming to Christ prior to getting his heart purified by the gospel a person does not love God he or she hates God he or she has hostility toward God in his or her mind toward the law of God they don't want God oh yes they may say I know God I love God but they don't obey him because they don't love him they hate him their lifestyle indicates their hatred toward him but when the heart is purified by the gospel then a person at that point loves God when sin is ejected when sin is jettisoned when sin is removed when there's a scrubbing of the heart as it were then a person can love God but not only loving God they uh, love others the family of God it comes from a pure heart they have a clean conscience a good conscience the text says here a conscience that's at peace and there is genuine faith all of this comes from a pure heart that's what Jesus is saying here blessed are the pure in heart purified heart I'm going to speak now about regeneration. I've been saying it in different ways. I'm going to say it now. Regeneration, the word means to give new life. It's speaking of the new birth. It's expressed that way in uh, Titus 3.5. In fact, it says, quote, the washing of regeneration. When you got saved, you got washed. You were washed spiritually, internally new life came and you were cleansed the new birth effects it produces inner cleansing from our sin from the filth as a result it produces spiritual deadness now back in our text uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 there's a word here and it's the word pure I, I want to talk about it for a moment um this Greek word is a form of a word from which we derive our English term catharsis meaning the cleansing of the mind our emotions we, we talk about a catharsis often don't we we talk about something being cathartic it's a cathartic experience I was able to get all of this stuff out The basic meaning of the Greek term katharos is the word in the original language. It means this, cleansing from or making pure from filth and contamination. The filth and contamination that we saw that Jesus spoke about in the later part of this book, Matthew 15. But beyond the basic meaning of of the word, the word can refer to, now get this, pure motive, single-mindedness undivided devotion spiritual integrity and righteousness all of these words uh, indicate what a pure heart looks like the motives are pure there's single-mindedness there's undivided devotion to God and there's life of integrity and there's righteousness in a practical sense it's a pure heart now in the explanation of this word pure um, there is no suggestion even remotely of sinlessness 
Aren't you glad to know that? <laughs> because if you're like me, you know, oh, oh, I have a pure heart, but. But Jesus never taught that we would experience sinless perfection even though we have a pure heart. That's not now. And we know that's the case. We recall his words in um, Matthew 6, verse 12, in the so-called Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer. Matthew 6, verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me explain debts. Debts refer to spiritual debts. When we sin, we incur a spiritual and moral debt that we owe God. We're obligated to pay. And Jesus teaches us to forgive us our debts. What he is saying, you sinned. The same people who have pure hearts, yes, they will sin. You can ratify that by saying amen. Amen. <laughs> Now, let me just give you, when we get here eventually um, to this passage and unfold it, but we'll explain it further. But let me just tell you right now, the forgiveness that we have now is the forgiveness of a judge. We have judicial forgiveness. God, as a judge of the universe, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, he pronounced us guiltless, no condemnation. So we don't worry about God as our judge. He is our father now. And as our father, we will sin against him. So what we need, we need the forgiveness from our father. If you're a parent, you don't kick your kid out of the family because they sin against you. They're in your family. You can't kick them out. You just forgive them and love them and go on, right? That's what God does for us. We have this kind of forgiveness from our Father. Though we have pure hearts, we do not have sinless perfection. We will sin. And since we are not sinless, yet we are pure in heart, we need to know the nature of our purity. Wouldn't that be the question you'd ask? I'm glad you did. That's what I asked. Well, how am I then? I have a pure heart, but yet I sin. How do we handle this? How do we deal with this? Well, let me just give you a couple of answers here. First uh, is this. Our purity is positional. We have the purity of Christ, which has been imputed to us at salvation. That is, this purity of Christ is really different terminology from what we customarily, uh, customarily state. Purity of Christ the same reality when we say imputed righteousness we talk about the imputed righteousness of christ well what is christ but absolutely perfectly pure right so at salvation when we say we have his imputed righteousness his righteousness was reckoned to our account he uh, imputed to us his purity it's on our account All of us, positionally, we stand before God adorned in the garment of Christ's perfect righteousness. It covers us. God sees us in terms of our position as righteous because he sees us covered by the righteousness of Christ. He sees us covered by his purity. 
And that's good to know, isn't it? It's kind of purity. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. <laughs> Second aspect of this. Our nature has been radically transformed. We're not what we once were. Second Corinthians 5.17 If any man or if any person be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. We're new creations in Christ. New creatures in Christ. Our nature has been radically transformed from what we were. Uh, dead in sins and transgressions. Hating God. Running away from God. Didn't want any part of God. Maybe religious, but not God's people. We had no desire for righteousness, but now we are beatitude people. We are the ones, in verse 6 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The reason we hunger and thirst for righteousness is because we have a new nature. God has changed our nature. Therefore, we desire righteousness. That's one way you can tell you're really a Christian. Do you desire, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? If a person says, ah, that tells me their Christianity is, ah, suspect. You cannot come to the transforming Christ and walk away without a desire to be righteous. You hunger and thirst for it. You want it. You have a new self. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. That's another way of talking about a new creature, new nature. We have a new self, which is being renewed every day in the likeness of Christ in his purity. That's what's happened to you. So you you stand before God positionally, you appear. But also there is this desire for purity that's in your heart you say I need some more evidence I'm glad you asked (laughs) a pure heart will give evidence of itself its existence there is the abandonment let me give you some the abandonment of lust in Matthew 5 verses 27 through 30 but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman verse 28 with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart as for these people who uh, claim that I ain't never done anything like that Jesus says you've been lusting you're guilty but what happens with pure hearts, you abandon that because your heart's pure. There's another way of abandonment. In it's Matthew chapter 6. Let's just zero in on verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking about storing up treasure in heaven. When there is a pure heart, there's the abandonment of materialism. 
May I throw in a little word here for these um, preachers, teachers who tell you that it's all about you need to get your faith stronger so you can get more stuff. It's abandonment of materialism. In the same chapter of Matthew 6, there is in verses 1 through 18, that's the uh, piety that seeks to please God rather than impress others. You're not out having to put up a facade of religiosity. That's not your issue. When you have a pure heart, you don't care if they know anything about that because it's you and God and a godly life. You don't do your alms to be seen by men. You don't pray long prayers to be seen by men. You don't do any of that to be seen by men. Now, that's how it is. Pure heart. Now, let me also tell you, purity of heart is to be pursued. As long as we're in these bodies, we're going to have to deal with sin, right? I'm just going to tell you that. Um, You're going to have to deal with it until you die. So what you need to do is just deal with it. In Romans 7, 18, Paul says there's nothing good that dwells in him that is in his flesh. He, He also saw there was a law it worked in him the law of sin but he also who's the law is mine he wanted to do the will of God and so we're to pursue uh, pure lives how do you live a pure life Psalm 119 verse 9 how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word that's how Psalm 119 verse 11 your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you it's how you do it it's in part how you do it now I'm going to tell you something else Uh, there is another place Uh, let's go back and look at Timothy Uh, Paul had some more words for the young pastor at Ephesus and he shares some things which are applicable to us Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 Timothy had to deal with false teachers. He had to deal with these people who weren't for real, who had these false teachings, doctrines. But what's fascinating here is there's the reality of the purity of the heart that is addressed by the apostle for the young pastor. And we're going to isolate a part of that and apply it to ourselves because it's clearly applicable to any believer. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, I trust you're there. Now, Paul says to Timothy, Now flee from youthful lust. That can be any kind of lust, just not sexual lust. People can lust for ambition, power, whatever. And those kind of things are characteristic of young people. He says, flee from youthful lust. That word flee, uh, in the original, fuego. Our word fugitive comes from it. We are to flee lust. 
like a fugitive is fleeing being captured. You don't run from sin, the lust, and pursue righteousness. We run from something and run to something. Pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with those. Now notice in the bottom of the verse, uh, from a pure heart. Those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's what we're to do. That's how you do it. Pray as God to give you an undivided heart. Psalm 86, 11. When those times of temptation come and the heart's divided by sin, say, God, unite my heart. And God will answer that prayer. Possessing a pure heart. So every child of God has one. But we're progressing in purity. We're growing in greater likeness to Christ. Next point, the promise to the pure in heart. That's, again, verse 8, but it's the clause, for they shall see God. This is why they're blessed. (laughs) They're going to see God. We're going to see God. Now, let me help us understand something. We see him now. That is, in the sense that we have knowledge of God. We see him with the eyes of faith, Hebrews eleven twenty seven, And it says there in that passage of Scripture, uh, speaking about Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So we can see God by faith. We see and understand God now his revelation we grasp it we understand his character we understand his ways but there's a greater dimension here uh, that's spoken about the sight that is promised here and this seeing God should not be now get this should not be interpreted figuratively or mystically mystically meaning as a visionary experience These words are a promise, and they should be taken literally. That is, taken at face value. We're literally actually going to see God. It's an astounding reality. The text says, for they shall see God. It's a future indicative in the original, and that's what's reflected here in the English. In fact, the, the, the text says, for they shall see God for themselves. There's a middle voice verb here. So for ourselves, we'll see God. Literal rendering. When? When? Eschatologically. Eschatology, the doctrine of last things. You'll have to be then. We can't see him now because man is sinful, is he not? Man is in his impurity cannot see holy God without being consumed by the experience. You're not ready to see him right now. <laughs> Remember, Moses wanted to see him, see his glory. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, 
for no man can see me and live. Man in his lack of absolute perfection in terms of purity cannot see God's face. But scripture tells us that we will. And that scripture will be fulfilled. And that experience will come to pass when we are perfectly holy and righteous. When will it um, occur? It's going to occur when we're in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation chapter 22 it tells us it says here in uh, verse 4 Revelation chapter 22 the eternal state in the new Jerusalem the new earth it says about his servants bond servants in verse 3 will serve him and they will see his face do you see that they will see his face we're going to look upon his face we'll be in his presence with our glorified eyes we will see the Lord that is our destiny that's where we had it if you're a Christian you ought to rejoice in that you're going to be with the Lord for all eternity. You're going to serve him and you're going to be able to see his face. You'll have face-to-face fellowship with him. The reality of that is this, you won't need your Bible anymore. Because that's Revelation 22 and once we're in that uh, situation, you don't need the scripture any longer. You're in the presence of God and seeing his face. That's our destiny. There will be eternal fellowship with him. Cannot be broken by our sin because we won't sin. In fact, we will not be able to sin. You talking about joy? We're going to have real joy. For there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So don't ever think that heaven's boring. No, it can't be boring. We're going to be in the presence of our creator and there will be eternal joy. And we're going to serve him. Imagine the mind of the infinite God who has infinite things for us to do and we'll be able to do them with our glorified bodies, with our glorified eyes, serving him for all eternity. That's our destiny. We're not going to be sitting on some cloud strumming a a harp. (laughs) Praise God. It's not going to be boring. When I grew up, I hear people talk about every day will be howdy, howdy, talk about Sunday. And I thought as a kid, oh, how dreadfully boring. But then I came to know what the scripture says. and No, it's not going to be like that at all. And who's going to get to be there and experience all of that? None but the pure in heart. We'll be utterly pure. And see our God. And worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Forever and ever. That's where we're going, people. That's our destiny. Bless and praise his name. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of the living God. 
Thank you that you have planned for us exquisite life with you in eternity beyond our comprehension, but reveal to us in your word. May as we pursue purity and a practical living day in and day out, we will keep these things in mind, what you have in store for us, the people of God, whom you've redeemed out of your great grace and mercy. We love you and serve you even more wholeheartedly for you, Lord, are worthy. And we thank you for what you've accomplished and what you will do for us. These things we pray in the glorious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.